Welcome to Rock Solid Ministries Frontline Servants Program, where we visit with men and women on the front lines of kingdom service. For more information about our free revival ministry or to explore more of our audio and video recordings, visit our website at rocksolidministries.org. Our guest today is Jeff Edgington, preacher at New Miami Church of Christ in Hamilton, Ohio. Is that right, officially? Yeah, yeah. Hamilton address. And at the time of this recording, we are holding a revival at the New Miami Church with Jeff. I did a little research. Uh, the last time we worked together, and possibly the last time we saw each other, Jeff, was in October of 1993. At the time, I was a preacher at First Christian Church in Murfreesboro, Arkansas, holding a revival for you at the Pleasant Grove Christian Church. In Texarkana. In Texarkana, Texas. Uh, we'll make sure we say Texas. On yes. That, you know. uh, a lot of water has gone under the bridge in the last 28 years. I'm ready to hear what you've been up to since then, as well as your life and walk with Jesus previous to 1993, because I never had the chance to visit with you, really, because I was driving in for that revival in Texarkana. So, uh, Brother Jeff? Tell us your story. I will be glad to do so, but just as a reminder, we did work together at church camp for a week, so we were actually that's right, we did. together a little at bit more than that. Cherry Hill. Cherry Hill Camp yeah, that's in right. Arkansas. That's right. So, um, yeah, the uh, I've known you for from that years. Haven't seen you for a long time unless I did some, uh, you know, on the slide, but I didn't do that. But <laughs> uh, I've been an Ohio boy, born and raised, although... Um, so my my uh, raising was always in a Christian family. Didn't start out fully Christian. My mom was Church of Christ Christian Church. Growing up, um, we grew up in a little town of Morristown, Ohio. Where's that? There until Where's second that? Grade. It's one of those places you either get there because you intended to, or you're totally lost. <laughs> okay. So it's a little bitty town in the corner of Highland County, mm-hmm. which is on the edge of Appalachia. Uh, a town of about 400. It's been a town of about 400 for over 200 years. I think it's the same people, which is a little weird. But most of them, <laughs> were, my, most of them were my relatives. So it was oh, okay. a great place for me to grow up. But I went to Maurice Town Church of Christ and uh, as a little kid and from a very, very little young person was wanting to be a preacher. Hmm. Very young. And, and was really into learning God's Word. I mean... Uh, a lot. Um, my dad was not a Christian at first, uh, who you, you got the chance to talk to my dad sure. some. Um, when I was about five years old, my dad was baptized by Larry Jameson, who was the preacher there at that time, who also was evangelist for many years, and was able to reach out to dad. He was My dad was a quintessential good old boy. He was a good guy, uh, loved our family, uh, had been through a, a tough life himself and the fact that he his mom and dad got a divorce when he was the oldest of the family and never got a chance to finish high school went to work became a machinist uh, got a job at General Electric where he worked for 35 years and except oh. for the time he was in the military and uh, then retired from there when he was 55 but when I was five years old uh, Larry went and visited with him I, I remember my dad being baptized there at that church oh. and then my grandmother was dying of cancer she was not a Christian. My dad and Larry Jamison went, and and uh, Larry Jamison was, he always had a flat top. 
You remember the old flat top? Oh, sure. I had one when I was probably eight or something, but he'd always had a flat top. And he was a preacher and and, um, not had contact with him for years, but he was much like a Kaimichi Clinic kind of preacher. Right, in Oklahoma. Uh, And very good, very good speaker like yourself. Just uh, excellent sermons. Anyway, they went and converted my grandmother to Christ. And uh, they were told by the doctors that, well, if you, uh, if you immerse her and you get water in the uh, tubes, then she, it may kill her. And so they went ahead and did it anyway. She got water in her tubes. She did die, but it wasn't for another year after that. Okay. But, so he was instrumental in, in bringing my grandma, my dad's mom, and my dad to Christ. My dad went on, had been an elder for many, many years, a leader in the church, was very active. When, when my dad became a Christian, he told me later, he said, I read the Bible through the first time to see just sort of what it had in it and how I could sort of get around it. And then I finally read it through again. And this is a guy who didn't finish high school. He finally got a GED right. through the military. Um, and read it a second time to see how it applied to me. And that's when he became a Christian. And my dad said it was real funny when he first became a Christian. He probably, he probably drove more people away from God than he got to them because he was so gung ho. He wanted to call on everybody, get in everybody's face, and you know, it, which is great though because he really came to, to love the Lord. So my dad was one of the big influences in my life. Decided at a very young age I wanted to be a preacher. That's all I ever wanted to be. Made my football coach a little unhappy when he got me a couple of offers for college football, and I said no. I'm going to Bible college. <laughs> they got basketball, which I'm not any good at, but they don't got football. Mm. So um, looked around to go to a college, visited Bluefield College of Evangelism, which was great school at that time. Went and visited it. Was pretty close to looking at that. And then I also visited Ozark. Now, a lot of people ask me, well, what about Cincinnati Bible College at that time? Because you were in Ohio. Right. I didn't. I had been raised on CBS. Went to their conference on evangelism every year, all this stuff. I wanted to get get to someone else, and at that time, Ozark was known as a church or as an uh, institution that produced preachers, right. either missionaries or preachers, and so that's where I wanted to go. Now, after my mom and dad dropped me off, didn't have a car at the time, my freshman year at Ozark, I remember sitting on one of the garden concrete benches and sitting there and going, I know absolutely nobody. What in the world did I do? And I said, Lord, you got me here. I'm just going to have to trust you. So I uh, started to go to school there, dated a few girls, because you got to do that when you're in Bible college. But well, anyway, that's what I've been told. Um, and then um, was had nothing really to do on a Friday night, not a lot of stuff to do. They had a bus, like a school bus, that would take people to the roller skating rink. And I'm not a major roller skating guy. It wasn't then, but I could roller skate. And I had nothing to do on the Friday evening, so I, you know, this was my freshman year. So I said, go roller skating was at the roller skating rink, looked sort of across, saw this beautiful blonde-headed girl, and I thought, man, that's a pretty... So they had a couple skate, skated with her. Some of the guys on my floor knew her. She was in high school, a senior in high school. That was Elaine, and found out she was going to this little church out in the middle of nowhere, ran about 150, but some of the guys on my floor went there, up in this town called Orinogo. And that's oh, where she goodness. had grown up. And name of that town, is it was a mining town, because in Joplin, Missouri... That's a mi- major mining community. Right. My first full-time ministry was at Galena, Kansas, right across the state line. And Galena is a type of lead ore. So that's yeah. what it, that was known for. Um, but the name of that town was, you get a war, you don't go. Can't go to town, to all the saloons and all the stuff. And that's where she grew up, in that little bitty town of about 400. So yeah. we related. And I determined that, you know, I hadn't really found a church to attend yet. And I thought, 
Might as well go there. Why not? Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. And fell in love with the little church, too, and with that girl, and we dated for about three years. She went to Ozark after she graduated. My mom and dad and, and I went to my wife's high school graduation, which was interesting. Mm. So, um, and then the rest, as they say, is history, and got married. Uh, was preaching at a small church in Dadeville, Missouri, for my student ministry. Um, that church grew. They decided they needed a full-time guy, so I stopped working there and did a few other things. The full-time guy didn't work out. They called me back. <laughs> so I had a student ministry that I was there twice. Once I got out of school, and I wasn't quite done with school yet. I had another year. That's when Galena called me to be able to preach there, and we were there for five years. And that's where our first child was born. It was a great ministry. Uh, small town, you know, not, not a whole lot of money. We were in the parsonage. You know, right next to the church building, which I would never do again. Oh, no. That's, Just to let you know. Yeah. Early um, on, I was warned off to anything like that. Yes. Maybe. But, you know, where you get free housing, quote unquote, and, right. and things provided. And, you know, that church had, it's very interesting. This church here at New Miami is over 100 years old. That church was over 100 years old. The church at Morristown is way, way over 100 years old. So I've been, and mostly churches that have been around a long time. Uh, with the restoration movement and help them to be able to celebrate some of those 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 milestones um, after leaving there is we did end up down in Texas and we were at the Pleasant Grove Christian Church for five years it's sort of in between that I I had been doing radio at Ozark Ozark has a campus station right and I had a chance in the after I left uh, that ministry in Texas, I went, to, we moved to Houston, which is where my wife's mom and dad had moved to, and started working at Christian radio stations, worked at three different Christian radio stations there. That was sort of the beginning, good, bad, or ugly, of the contemporary Christian music thing really taking off. Right. And the radio station that I worked at there for quite a while was KGOL, and it was um, one of the really the flagships of the contemporary Christian um, radio business. And it was sort of a neat time. We got to meet a lot of neat people. Uh, met Sandy Patty in person and talked to her. Got to be around Amy Grant a little bit and um, some of the other folks that I, I worked with uh, there. Um, also, had worked at a radio station in Joplin and got to meet some different folks doing there. Uh, the station I worked at in Joplin uh, while I was uh, before I started the ministry at the at the uh, besides the campus radio station was one that was owned by the Pentecostal Church of God of America, but it was a contemporary station. Right. <laughs> Go figure. But And I was the, the afternoon drive person there. And uh, so I enjoyed the, the Christian radio business, but it was hard to make a living, for one thing. Right. You know, the money wasn't great, but it was okay. One of the guys I got to work with um, at the radio station there in Houston, who has passed away, was uh, a guy by the name of Lee Darling, who had a great radio voice. He was, before he became a Christian, he was a drive-time rock and roll station guy in Louisville, Kentucky, and he helped introduce the Beatles to the United States. And his radio name then, nom de plume, was Lee Gray, and he was called, and you can Google him, he was Beatle Buddy Lee Gray. So I got to work with him, and, and he did a lot of the voice work there in Houston, even though he worked at a Christian station. And then uh, one of the other guys I worked with, um, his name was Tom, another Tom, he actually is the drive time person if you tune into your satellite radio and listen to the message, which is the contemporary Christian. Right. So he's the afternoon drive time right there, and he's about 59, 60 now. 
so he's getting a little bit of an age, but he has a great voice too. So it was a really, it was a blessing to get to do that and to meet a lot of great people. But, you know, again, my heart still was still in preaching. Uh, came back to Ohio and preached at the Trenton Church of Christ, uh, which is not too far from here. Trenton is a little sort of a bedroom community in between Middletown and Hamilton here in Ohio. Was there a couple of years. Um, and then at that point, Elaine was going through a lot of personal situations that had started earlier on, but it really came to a head with bipolar. And being a preacher's wife, I know Beth isn't allowed to talk, even though she's here. Right. But she can relate to this. So those of you listening, yes, Beth is in the room. And this uh, is the first time. This yes. is the first time she's... Very first. So I feel honored. Yeah. I, I really do. I, I really think that the only reason why you invited her to be part of this podcast is because she can't talk. Well, it is interesting. It is interesting. So anyway, but I'm, I'm bringing it up anyway because I'm an out-of-the-box kind of guy. We're killing but, her now. But just to look, <laughs> she can relate to it is hard being a preacher's wife at a yeah. local church. And if you're facing something like bipolar on top of that, right. it's almost impossible. So at one point in time, I was out of a located ministry altogether. In that point in time, I was uh, I had been an elder at different churches. I'm an elder here at this church. So I, I have an interesting perspective in that I've been full-time preacher. I'm a part-time preacher here. I'm a tent-making preacher. I work a full-time job plus here. Mm -hmm. uh, so really two full-time jobs. But um, the, the uh, you know, and, and having also served as an elder at three different churches, I can see on that side of what goes on in the ministry yes. as well, which is also important to be able to note. So oftentimes you get an adversarial um, situation going between the paid preacher and the elders or right. the elder. Sometimes it's one. A lot of times it's, it's personality. It usually always goes back to control. Right. And um, so I think I bring a, a great perspective there of understanding, hey, Christ is the head of the church. It's not the preacher. It's not the elders or the right. deacons or any of their wives. You know, it is Correct. actually Christ. And if he's not, then you really don't have a church the way it should be. Right. And that's what I've always stri striven for. So the path that I've followed in my life isn't one that I would have laid out for myself when I was in Bible college, for instance. And I've had guys that I went to school with who'd followed more of the path that maybe you would think you would want to follow. Uh, Dudley Rutherford I went to school with there at Ozark. Yeah, no, He's Dudley. at a huge church out in Los Angeles. Um, you know, that little church that, that my, my wife grew up in at Orinoco runs about four to 5,000 on the weekend. And it is really not even in the town, which no. is small. And the town's small. It's actually out in the middle of nowhere, which is where the original building was. It was totally, truly a country church. And, um, and you know, just to see how that, you know, progressed right. and was able, and, and, and hold true to the word and still, you know, be able to see that kind of growth is always great to be able to see that. So, um, you know, I've been around those. My goal was never to be a preacher at some large church. Right. My goal was just to serve the Lord wherever he planted me. And so... That's when, a good goal. When this opportunity came up, the, the preacher that had been here for many, many years was retiring. And I started filling in for when he wasn't well. Uh, he was having some heart problems. Randy Dodd is his name. He still lives in the area. And uh, they came to me and said, would you be willing to preach? We can't pay you much. You know, and uh, and they said, you know, we really don't like preachers here, and you'd be the closest thing to not having a preacher that we could get. <laughs> so we wanted to see if you were available 
to be able to fulfill that role. That's about two and a half years ago. And we had things sort of starting to grow again. This church had a history was running about 150 some years back, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. We got it back up to 40, COVID hit, you know, and we're now trying to just get things reestablished again still. There's a building, you've got a a, a large building here, and and, uh, I don't know, it's probably seat, what, 300, 250? Comfortably, I would say a couple hundred still. Okay. I mean, yeah. you could pack them in because the, the pews are in close together. And I do like to sort of give the, some of the elders, you know, heart problems once in a while because I'll bring up and say, you know, the best thing to do is let's get rid of the pews and put in stackable chairs. But I'm always kidding. I just yeah. want to see what they react to that because <laughs> pews is one of the things that people hold sacred that they don't need to. Yeah. There are things that we should hold sacred that we don't. Right. And the things that we shouldn't hold sacred that we do. And that's yeah. just one of the struggles that we always have in, in the church. I think it's true. It is. Yeah. So you've been here how long? Two and a half years. Two and a half years. Now, take us back to Ozark. What years were you at Ozark? I uh, graduated from high school in 76. So I started in Ozark in 77, was there for five years. Having gotten married and doing everything else and stuff, it took me five years, the old five years to get a four-year degree. Well, this means you're more educated. More educated. Oh, right. That's right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, or edumacated, depending on what part of the country you're I from. I think that's right, yeah. But, uh, and Ozark at that time was a great school to be at. I appreciate it. Uh, Ken Ottoman was the president. He, he's the one I did my uh, study for uh, for preaching under. And, of course, his son is the one who's the teaching minister over at Southeast Christian Church, that little bitty Christian church in Louisville. Right. You know, and and done a lot of great things, and he was just a little whippersnapper. You know, uh, it was real funny. I was in a quartet when I was in at Ozark, and also sang in a group called Song of Praise. So did that also as well as preaching. I was on a quartet trip with Ken Eidelman, and we were uh, a good friend of mine who was my best man, uh, and myself were were sharing a place uh, on this weekend with Ken Eidelman, and the older couple we were sitting with thought I was the professor and that he was still a student because because ken always was the one that always had his hair perfect and yeah everything else looked pretty young looked pretty young yeah he did and my my friend and i we were uh we were going through our stuff and realized that we we did not both of us had forgot our shampoo and where we were staying we were in a bedroom and like ken ottoman was in the bedroom down the hall from us and we had our own little bathroom it was a very nice very nice little setup and he heard us talking, and he said, you know, well, you can use mine. And we heard the voice from the other bedroom. And he was president of the college and everything else. We thought, well, I guess so and stuff. About a minute went by, and then he walks in. He's just red in the face. He goes, I didn't bring mine either. <laughs> so, so we had to go to the couple and say, do you happen to have some shampoo we can use? Is that okay? Because none of us brought it. But that's just sort of a funny story you get when you, when you, uh, you know, involved in ministry and doing some neat stuff with people. Shampoo can be a problem when you're traveling. It can be if you still got hair. Our funny story that, that we had, the gospel lads uh, were singing at our church, new church workout in Colorado, and they were, we didn't have a building of our own, so we were actually meeting in a funeral home, and we had the junior college booked to, for them to come in, but they needed to change, needed to shower and everything. Right. And out in Colorado, everything's so dry, and I was having a real dandruff problem back then. This was some years ago, and so I, I used a, a dandruff shampoo that was really strong. And the first time I used it, it kind of shocked me. But one of the guys, uh, and I'm not going to ask Beth because she's, she's going to sit here quietly today, but one of the guys w- was in our, our uh, shower, taking a shower, and we heard this terrible scream. 
He used your shampoo. He used that shampoo and it just burned his scalp. And, and he came out and, and he's holding it. He said, tar. It's got tar in it. <laughs> I said, well, you know, you didn't ask. You right, know? right. <laughs> but this traveling and staying in homes, good good story. He was singing in the shower, but it wasn't clear notes. No, it wasn't clear notes. It was not clear notes. No. Well, uh, I met your I met your dad on the phone. Correct. You connected me with your father when uh, I had resigned at a church in Arkansas. And during that time that we knew each other, and uh, they asked me to send up a, a tape to their to his church in, in the Cincinnati area and uh, my preaching because they were interested, and uh, they liked it and were interested. However, the uh, timing wasn't quite right, and also we just felt led to go to another church. But uh, your father, I was so impressed with him and his Christian, uh, just everything about him, his uh, the way he spoke to me on the phone uh, and about his commitment to Christ. And after we moved to the church we were going to, which was a new church uh, in Tennessee, his boys' Sunday school class took us on as a mission for at least two years. And uh, so we communicated that way. But that's the only, I never met him personally, but was very impressed with your. And my, with your my dad's junior boys' Sunday school class, he taught that class probably for 20 years. Really? Out of that junior boys Sunday school class, I think six preachers came out of that class, including mm -hmm. myself. So, and, and as far as my dad's witness, and I'm glad you brought him up, the last year of his life, my dad was, was bedridden and on oxygen. He had a disease of his lungs that was slowly turning his, his lungs to concrete. And he was totally bedridden. He listened to the Reds on radio and stuff, and my mom cared for him. Um, there in their house in Milford that they bought when I was in second grade. We moved from Morristown into Milford, Ohio, did so Dad could be closer to his work at General Electric in Evendale, Cincinnati. Was a machinist working on jet engines for all those years. Some of what he uh, happened to him when he was working there is what affected his lungs also. Uh, he, they worked in a room uh, for a lot of his years there, which was uh, sort of a, they sort of called it the cold room, and it, even though it was machining, they did the, well, and not to get too technical, but the gearboxes that would go in the jet engines or the rocket engines. Right. And my dad was instrumental in working on every single military or rocket engine that came out of that plant. And there was a bunch of them. They had to use very exotic uh, metals for that very, what they call low tolerances, so very close work. And because he was a very unbelievable machinist, had done it since he was like 16 years old and just knew before they had all the computer stuff and everything else. The room that they worked in was a, a negative airflow room. So I, I was only at that room once, and I do have a photo of it, because we got one tour into that plant, and that was it the whole time growing up. They had one time they let people in, and you weren't allowed in all of it. Back during World War II and later, because they've made other things there during the Vietnam War and stuff, they still do. They have, they have, uh, they have places where they had gun emplacements with machine guns with the guards because they were working on you know top circuit stuff for the government that room that he worked in there was only three rooms like that that were built one at General Electric in Cincinnati one at Los Alamos and one at the Tennessee Valley Authority because of the nuclear type material that they dealt with right so um, that was part of what affected my dad unfortunately now that's what put him there you know for all that time but my dad never, ever lost his faith and hope and his witness going through that trial. You know, and I watched my dad go through that. And, and uh, my mother-in-law got a similar 
disease with her lungs, but they had come up with some medication that helped. They didn't have anything for my dad. And the faith of my mom and the faithfulness of my mom, who, by the way, was a gracious home that I grew up in. Uh, there was one year for when the North American was still going and was pretty good. Uh, we had in our little bitty three-bedroom, one-bath house, my sister was going to Milligan College to get a teaching degree, and I was at Ozark. We had 36 people spending nights in our house oh, all over the floors and everything else because my mom just opened you know, the doors up to whomever. Very gracious. And she took care of my dad during that whole time. And we had help and stuff and everything. But um, he was just so at peace when it was fun. And he had trouble. I mean, it was real life. You go through that, you mm -hmm. have trouble in asking God, just like Job, why, Lord, am I going through this? You know, can you... And for a whole year, you know, he went through all that. But when it was time and the Lord called him, he was just so at peace and ready to go to be with the Lord. And so his witness in my life just stayed strong all the way through there. And to see, again, his life change. He was never a bad person before he became a Christian. But he did like drinking and, you know, gave up drinking altogether. It sort of disheartens me to see so many people and even the Christian church, Churches of Christ, thinking that social drinking is not a big deal. Even among preachers. It is a big deal. And it is a big deal. Yeah. You know, I know what the scripture teaches on that, and it, it, it does not teach you can't take a sip, but let's face it, if you do social drinking, let's just be honest. You know, right. you're drinking for a purpose. The purpose is you want to get what I call buzz, right? Right. If you're getting a buzz, you've already impaired your, you know, your abilities, and that means you've already gone against what God wants for your well, life. Just, so, just, that, just I'll, I'll, I'll throw, well, you know, I'll, well, let's get off on that for just a moment because uh, if it takes, uh, well, it's been proven scientifically that just the, the minutest amount of alcohol in your system will kill brain cells. And that's what drunkenness is, is, is brain cells. So uh, if it takes you 10 drinks to get drunk, then... In my way of thinking, if I take one drink, then I'm one-tenth drunk because I've already killed brain cells. So I'm already harming the body. And and so that's the way I look at it. And, and I think it goes beyond harming the body. So since we're talking right. about this, it, it is a matter of self-control. Not self-control, but spirit control, if you're a Christian. Yep. And so what is what does alcohol do? Why do people want that mixed drink? Why do they pay for that extra shot of whatever in that mixed drink? Because they're trying to lower their inhibition because they think that that way they can, quote-unquote, have fun, have yeah. artificial happiness. That's what the world's looking for. Boy, the reason yeah. why the scripture is so animate against drunkenness, whatever your definition is of that, is because ultimately when we knock down our inhibitions, we take away the control of the spirit in our life. And we give that control over to something that's artificial, that's man-made, and that ultimately Satan can use against us. So that's the reason why, ultimately as a Christian, it is better to be totally away from anything like that. We don't need it for happiness. We have Christian joy that's in spite of whatever our situation is. We don't need alcohol. Therefore, why even introduce it at all into that mix? So, so you know, it, it is a hard thing right now because, we're again, we're living in a time, you know, where... People are, like in the days of Noah, doing whatever's right in their own eyes. And they, right now, instead of being in the world, not of the world, 
most of our churches are becoming more like the world, not the other way around. Now that's that's right. That's happened over and over again at different times. Yes. You know, it's not anything new, because the world we allow the world to influence us instead of positively influencing the world. But I think that's a message that could be taught, and if it's taught properly, especially to a young Christian like my dad, he just decided he didn't need that in his life anymore. Right. Now, he did that before he ever became an elder. It wasn't like he became an elder so he stopped drinking or anything like that. It was like when he became a Christian, he just realized that wasn't that that I don't need that in my life anymore. And I, and I, I it does bother me when a lot of we're we're again in an age where uh, in order to quote unquote grow the church, we don't want to offend anyone. We mm-hmm. want to get everybody in, and so a lot of times, what you win people to is what you win people with. Absolutely. And yeah. that's an old phrase, but it's still very true. And you have to be so careful on how you handle that. Because if you don't handle that properly, and yeah, you might be sacrificing a little bit. And I believe you can have a large church and still be biblical and follow the Apostles' Doctrine. The oh, Apostles absolutely. did it. Sure. Well, we were studying the Book of Acts, and your wife was in my class this morning. You never made it, by the way, Tom. No, but, uh, I was waiting on your pianist. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> but anyway, the uh, we've been studying the Book of Acts, which I love the sermon series you're doing since you're right, mm-hmm. right there in Acts this morning. And um, look at the phenomenal growth of the early church. 120, 3,000, mm-hmm. 10,000, multiplying. It started adding to the church, then it's multiplying and growing and growing into the thousands and thousands. And yet the focus was still on the apostles' doctrine, which was God's doctrine that he had given to them through the Holy Spirit. And they didn't want to lose sight of that. Now, were there times when, as it grew, things happened? Well, you had the Judaizers, as you know, that came in. You had the church in Jerusalem. They were all Jewish, so it was pretty easy. Everything's great. Here comes this guy named Saul, who's a Pharisee among Pharisees, but he becomes Paul, and he's converting all these non-Jewish people like crazy. And man, how do you handle that? Peter had trouble with it. So the Judaizers would come in and say, well, no, you've got to be a Jew first. Then you can become a Christian. No, that's not really what Jesus Christ even taught. And so they, too, had their things they had to deal with that in their contemporary situation, the whole question of do you eat meat sacrificed to idols? You know, that that's part of that deference thing as a Christian. You know, legally, um, could I take a, a have a cold beer and not technically break the letter of the law? Mm-hmm. Probably so, although we discussed that. Right. There's no, but if you drink that cold beer and you have a weaker brother who was an alcoholic or was trying to get, and he sees you do that, what have you done? Right. And do you think, do you think that uh, in the church today, uh, nobody, I mean, if they believe in heaven and hell, which a lot of people don't anymore, but they believe in heaven and hell, uh, and so they become a Christian, and I'll put the little quotation marks here that, that people can't see, they become a Christian, and uh, do you think that they're trying to, uh, well, I don't want to go to hell, I don't want to go to that nasty old hell, so... Uh, what can I do? Let me find in the scriptures, what is it that I am allowed to do uh, and still get into heaven? It's fire insurance. Right, fire insurance. It's and, not really a Christian walk, it's fire insurance. And if the question is, and just because you brought up drinking, it could be anything else, but but the question is, someone says, well, uh, drunkenness, it says drunk, drunkards will not inherit heaven. Okay, well, I don't get drunk, I just, I just drink. Well, are are we not counting on 
man's laws and what man says uh, the percentage of alcohol to blood content, blood, you know, alcohol content to blood. Uh, we said in the United States, well, drunkenness comes at this point. But where does God say drunkenness comes at? Correct. Right. So we're counting on man. And, and, and buddy, I, I, I never have counted on man much, but the last couple of years I've counted on him a whole lot less on man and government. So, uh, Absolutely. Uh, so are we not just trying to say, I want to get him by the edge of my teeth? You know, which I never quite understood that anyway. I want to, I, I want to surely get in both feet. I want to get in, you know, but it's not just I want to go to heaven. That's not what salvation's about. Salvation is on is bringing glory to God, and heaven is a byproduct of our salvation. It's something that oh, okay, that's great. We get that, but we're coming to Christ to have our sins forgiven and give glory to our Creator, and and. Uh, uh, sure, some people come out of fear, and that's that's fine. That's we got a starting place somewhere, but isn't the the whole duty of man is to bring glory to God, and to glorify God, and we do that when we accept His Son's sacrifice, and that brings glory to God, and that's the important thing, and heaven. Well, that's just a, a wonderful byproduct of, of giving glory to God. Absolutely. And what makes heaven heaven is you're in the presence of God. Right. So the question is, as a Christian, you know, in your Christian walk, are you preparing yourself to be in the presence of God for all eternity? Right. Number one, would God be able to have you in his presence? That's what, what comes with taking on the righteousness of Christ. And finding the forgiveness of your sins. But it's also changing us from the inside out where we want to be in God's presence. Yes. You know, where we want to sing hallelujah to his name. We want, you know, just you know, what makes heaven heaven is Jesus and and God is there to be in his absolute presence forever. Now, I, I'm, and not to get into deep theological points, I don't think we're in heaven forever when we die. You know, because there's going to be a new heaven and new earth. I think mm -hmm. if you read the scriptures and properly, we're going to end up somewhere on that new new earth. How's that going to look and what's it going to be like? I have no idea. I'm not going to right. pretend like I figured that one out. But God's going to walk with us like he did in the garden. Things are going yeah. to be perfect again. We're going to have things to do. But to be back in his presence, and like as it says, no more tears, no more crying. I'm a firm believer when we talk about it. I always felt sorry for John on the island of Patmos. Uh, number one, that he's the one that got to survive the longest. He didn't die the horrible death, but he didn't have a great life. Being on the Isle of Patmos, yeah. if you study, that was not a good deal. That was a prisoner island where people went to die, working, right. in the, working in the mines and everything else. But the hardest thing for John wasn't getting through that and getting Revelation written. It was trying to see with his spiritual eyes, the heavenly realm, and describe it in earthly terms. Right. Which is impossible. Mm -hmm. So, he looked at the streets of heaven. How precious are the streets of heaven? Well, it's so precious that they use gold for asphalt. And right. it's gold dust that they're sweeping off the, the streets. Are the streets actually gold? I really don't think so, and I don't care. I don't mm -hmm. care. What makes heaven heaven? God's there. That's what makes right. it happen. Are those gates out of those, the description of the, like the pearly gate and the gate, all those. I just think he took the things as how precious, the most precious thing I can think of, right. you know, and, and you watch the, if you watch the gold rush show on TV, you know, those guys take their whole eyes. What are they trying to do? Find a little bit of gold. 
you know, right. a few more ounces of it because it's worth so much. Blah, blah, blah. And they dedicate their whole lives. And we've, you know, you look at the the early gold rush guys and everything that they did. We, my wife and I, got to do a cruise to Alaska and took the train up to the spot where the gold miners would go along. You could see the trail they would go on to get up to the Yukon in Canada. Right. But we were in a train, which was the nice way to do it. <laughs> and many of them never made it, even to the gold fields. They died on the way. They drowned, they died, whatever. There's a million different ways they could be killed. The ones that made it to the gold fields, most of them never found gold. Or if they found some gold, by the time they paid for the bacon that cost $57 a pound and everything else, it was all gone. Yeah. But they were striving for it because it was so precious. John has to describe a spiritual thing that's not in our realm in earthly terms. And I think what he was trying to get across, and he did that, was this is more precious than anything you can imagine. Yeah. And that and that's what I'm trying to tell you what it is. And then there's, there's four square New Jerusalem, and it's going to be going down to the new earth. Again, I, I can't... Um, I've seen artist renditions, and they're trying to explain it, and people like want to talk about the end times and everything else. I'm a firm believer when it comes to... And we're, we're going all over the place here, but when it comes to the prophecy of the Scripture... It always amazed me how, and there's verses and verses and chapters of everything, of all the prophecy about the coming of Jesus. All that. And people who studied it for hundreds of years. And how many people really understood about the coming of Jesus when he right. came? Only the ones that God revealed it to. The shepherds in the field. You know, Mary and Joseph directly through the dreams. Nobody else got it, you know, uh, even though they had it right there in front of them. The scripture is so clear on why Jesus came and the sacrifice he was going to have to make. We've read it. The early Christians, when they converted somebody, they didn't get out the New Testament. What did they get out? They yeah. got out the Old Testament. Right. You know, the uh, the fellow going along on the road, and Stephen comes along and says, you know, you know what you're reading? Oh, Isaiah. Well, let me talk. And... So, you know, we can convert people to Christianity through the Old Testament today. Why? Because it's also, we look at that and we study it and it all, Jesus came to fulfill the, the scripture and the prophecy he did. And it's plain. It's easy to see. It convicts us. It convinces us because we see it with hindsight. But to those who lived it, they didn't have a clue. Even his own apostles who were with him for three years and Jesus told them over and over and over again, I'm going to have to die. You know, and then, and Peter says, oh, no, I'm not going to let you die. And what did he tell Peter? Get behind me, Satan. Right. You know, I was just saying, you just said that I'm the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I said, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. That was just a little bit, a few verses before. And now you're, you're going against my plan. And that's, that's satanic. Get behind me, Satan. Why is that? Nobody got it. Whenever, whether we're caught up to meet him in the sky, when Jesus appears in the east from where we're sitting here or whether we're reconstituted from whatever grave that we're in, when we are together in the afterlife, we will look back at the book of Revelation and all the other prophecies, and I'm 100% convinced of this. All of them will make total sense, and it will be totally different than what everybody thought. Sorry, Tim LaHaye. But, uh, <laughs> and, and that's okay with me. Yeah. You know, because you know, people talk about this whole thing of pre, post, and amillennial. Right. Man, I am pro 
I am pro-Jesus coming. I am pro all the scriptures being fulfilled. I am looking forward to that day, Maranatha, even so, Lord, come quickly. And it can happen this moment. It, if it takes another thousand years, that's God's timing, not mine. Even Jesus didn't know the, the time or the date or the hour. But we know it's going to happen. And we know it's going to be exactly as God said. And it's going to make total sense. And that's the faith that we all have. And And my dad's, you know... Up there with my mom right now, if we say up there. And I don't believe in soul sleep, so I think they're aware uh, with God. Yeah. And, and he's going like, well, it, all those times I read the whole book through, and your good book was 100% right. Right. And thank you for that, Lord. And we'll have that opportunity, too. Wow, that's good. You know, I can tell you've been on radio a lot. Because you know how to have, carry on this conversation. We've, we've done something that we haven't done a whole lot on this program. Is we've waxed theological today and got a whole sermon. Yes. And, and that's good, too. <laughs> I like that. Well, let me go, go back to your life and ministry a little bit. Sure. I, I want to ask you about greatest joys over the years. What, just, or greatest joy. If you think of one particular time that was just, just uh, way up there and, and on a scale of of joy well, for you. Baptism, baptizing both my kids, you know, that's right. always going to be number one as a dad. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and that part of that, but the biggest joy is just being able to see someone who has no hope to find Christ and realize that there's hope. Yeah. You know, and I can think, uh, one, I can think of one, one, uh, this was at Galena and there was a young man who was a chef. He was actually a very good, cook but he was an alcoholic and um and we, i was able to baptize both he and his wife didn't know christ at all still battled the alcoholism went with them to alcoholics and it was a, i was a young preacher you know so it was a good education i was at a men's meeting in the four state men's meeting which is like the yeah, arkansas run, the arkansas galena or arkansas oklahoma. kansas oklahoma and arkansas right uh the four states i was a four states with me i got a, a call and it's his wife, and he hadn't made the meeting, and he had fallen off the wagon. And she goes, you know, he, I think he's at a, and Galena had plenty of bars. And I, I left the men's meeting, and um, I played football, I wrestled, and I also was in track in high school. I was a three-letterman, you know, was pretty athletic. I was able to, just to talk about how, you know, your life was, a, I was able to leg press 750 pounds when I was playing football, and... I was able to, um, I could bench press about 350, 400, like 10 times. I was the strongest guy on our football team. I went into the bar, and uh, interesting experience for a young preacher. Uh, I got to break up a bar fight to get him out of there. It's not as hard as it sounds, because when people are drunk, they don't know how to fight. Right. So it's not a big deal. But there was a guy that was that was wanting to wail on his girl, girlfriend. He was drunk. He wanted, Paul wanted, that was his first name, wanted to come to his, you know, I'm gonna. I said, you know, I had jumped in there and got him in the car, got him home, and, and to this day, as far as I know, he's doing fine, and he's still in the Lord. But you know, it, it taught me, and I do believe in miraculous healing where people can. You know, I never touched it again. I was able, but for someone, he had he had some Native American uh, in his background, which is not unusual for that part of the country, and genetically, alcohol is a lot harder for folks like that. But to still to see the change in that family's life that went from having no hope at all, was going down a bad road, and then to be able to see that change, 
was just, that's what makes it all worthwhile. It is. You know? And you know, a lot of folks don't realize that they think the preacher writes a sermon, gets up on Sunday and preaches, and maybe he makes a hospital call. They don't realize that preachers do just just what you said. I remember in, in eastern Colorado getting a call sometime after midnight. Uh, a man worked uh, uh, at a dairy, and he's Christian, and he said, my wife is missing. I think she's at one of the bars. Would you go with me? And we headed out. Well, at least I, you I, had I, somebody I, go with you. That was good. <laughs> yeah, that was good. That was good. And I was a young preacher in my 20s then, and, and so that was quite an experience as well. But people don't realize preachers do that kind of thing. Oh, no, no, and, no. And, uh, I, I will tell you one story that's sort of in it. When I was at Pleasant Grove, uh, one of our elders was the, uh, and, and Texarkana, Texas is a divided town. Right. Because half of it's in Arkansas and half of it is in Texas. And it's real crazy because their city hall is half Texas and half Arkansas. One of our elders was a chief of detectives for the Arkansas side. His office was in Texas, so it's sort of weird. <laughs> and they had special permission that if you got, if you were on, let's say, the Arkansas side on the main drag, and you thought, well, I'll just flip over. To, they, they were allowed to go across state lines. They had, both states had, had a special law that allowed them to do that. Um, and we did get people, you know, sometimes being able to reach out and meet people who are in need is very important. We had two young ladies that showed up with a fella on a, on a Wednesday night. This was before church was starting and they were asking for gas money and stuff. Supposedly going to go visit somebody, oh, you know, in a hospital or something, in a hospital or yeah. something like that. Been there. And uh, we got him in my office and we were talking to him and he goes, well, let me just check this out. Come to find out. The car they were in was one of the, the girl's dads. The young man had a warrant out for his arrest, and they were just totally fabricating the story, you know, once you get that. Um, so we got him in the office and stuff, and we sat down with him, and uh, Larry, who was the elder, said, here's, here's what's going to happen. Girls, you're going to get in that car, and you're going to drive home right now. I'm going to call your dad and let him know that you're on the way home, okay, and you'll be fine. Now, you young men are going to sit here with us. And he started to get me. He goes, I can go with them. And it was sort of, this is an interesting story. Being the um, detectives, uh, you know, he was in church. He had his 38 on his ankle holster. And he said, no, son. He pulled up his pants. He said, you're going to sit down and wait until the deputy sheriff gets here. Because you've got a warrant out for your arrest. So it was sort of interesting. They showed the church supposedly for benevolence. And he had to go face the music, which was actually a good thing for him, probably. Right. And those girls were stopped from doing something really stupid. Right. You know, which was actually a good thing. That was a crazy thing in ministry. So, again, you don't know some of the things that you get into when you're in ministry. Uh, Seared about joy, what about a greatest uh, challenge or maybe a very difficult time that, that you had to deal with? If you want to share, if you care to share it. Well, and, this wasn't directly in ministry, but this was when I was an elder. And I'll share this because I think it can be equally challenging. That's, that's directly ministry. It's just yes. not. It's not paid, quote it's, unquote, it's paid not, ministry. Yeah, it's on the other side of the pulpit. Uh, so in Texas, we were in the Houston area, Richmond Rosenberg, which is in southwest Houston. I was an elder at the church there. Um, and Elaine's uncle, who had done our wedding uh, there at Ornogo, because he had grown up in Ornogo and stuff, uh, had been a minister there. He left to be a, a preacher at a church in Springfield, Missouri, a pretty good-sized church. Had some major problems when he was there. Uh, problems with uh, extramarital, unfortunately. Um, had the chance to come back to Richmond, so it'd be a second thing. Uh, Elaine's dad was also an elder there, so I served as an elder with her dad, who was a great 
mm-hmm. and he's gone to be with the Lord too. As his mom, we've, both of our parents are with the Lord. Um, and we sat down with with him, and you know, so we know the history here. If you want to come back, we if you want to stand, you know, we understand. We got to be assured that this is not a problem, you know. And he assured us, and so did his wife and everything else. So he came back, ministered there for about a year. Things went pretty good, and then one Saturday morning, his wife shows up at my doorstep, and come to find out, he was having an affair with one of the gals there and so um, I had to go with my father-in-law and had to meet with him and and finally get him to admit that this was going on and to say now you know what's the best way to handle this I want to hear it from you and and he even admitted he had sort of gotten the ministry because it's sort of his mom she wanted a preacher in her family and Mm -hmm. he was it and so his, and he gave all the standard story, how his love for his wife had grown cold, and blah, 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 all the right. excuses people give that I don't accept, you know. Right. Uh, having gone through with my wife with the bipolar and everything else, there is no reason. I'm sorry. It, when you make your wedding vows, I don't care what happens, unless the other person leaves you, there's no reason for you to ever seek a divorce. Now, mm. the one exception to that, on the w- woman's side, the wife's side, is, is if it's a situation where you have you know, wife beater, and there's some other things going on there, and the unfaithfulness part. But he gave all the standard excuses why, you know, and and, and and everything else. And I said, well, I think, John, you know what you need to do. I had asked for his resignation, which he gave it. Uh, we accepted it. He and his wife, I think his wife got scared to death because he'd been in located ministry the whole time, and she knew this was going to end that for him and everything else. And uh, they came back, and we had as elders had to stick by and say, no, we have his resignation. We're accepting his resignation. We offered to pay for counseling and help and everything else we could do for him. Right. They ended up getting a divorce and, you know, he got remarried to the gal that he had the affair with and all that. But that was a hard, man, a hard thing to go through. But my wife and my mother-in-law for my father-in-law and us, you know, and that's my wife's uncle John. He did our wedding. Uh, they both basically said, guys, you know what's right. And you got to do what's right. And I said, yeah, but it doesn't make it any easier. No, it doesn't. But sometimes you just got to do it. Having been a minister for four and a half decades now, uh, for a short period I served as an elder as well in a church that, that wanted me to be an elder and preacher. And I would say to young preachers, don't do it. No. I'm, I mean, uh, it's it's a great experience because it gives you an idea of what they go through, but there are things that you don't see even when you have elders that that you think are 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 not doing a good job. Maybe they disagree with you. Sometimes they're taking phone calls late at night, people complaining about you, and or about something else, and they're taking some of the pressure off of you. Absolutely. And and not always. Sometimes they are the pressure. Sometimes they are the problem. <laughs> and let's admit it because people. Are and making them elder doesn't take away them being a problem person, but I, I it, it gave me a new perspective. Well, I believe strongly you can be a paid preacher and not be qualified, quote unquote, quite ready to be yeah. an elder. Yeah. And while I've served as preacher and elder, and I am here too, um, you know that takes somebody who's older. Yes. And can well, be that's able to, what does elder mean? Exactly. But, but being older, yeah. Yeah, and we're both elder. Yeah, so. we are. 
but uh, and, and, and me Mom. more elder, me more elder than you. <laughs> exactly. Uh, okay, we're out of, out of time. I yeah, well, almost, but let me let me throw this out at you. I've been asking mo most of the people I'm interviewing this question. What do you believe to be the greatest challenges facing the church, individual Christians, and or ministry today going forward? It's something that's been around forever, and that's just the liberal liberalism of the world and the world in general going to bed with, to, for sake of another expression, with the church. Yeah. And so, so it's the same challenge we've had countless generations and times, and we're seeing right now in our, you know, and we've discussed this some, in our Christian colleges, mm -hmm. you know, the the loss of direction right um, you know when 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 our christian colleges decided that they're going to be universities and and i, I don't know what you my sister went to milligan i think there's a place for a milligan right and she went there to be be a, a christian teacher mm -hmm. she's not teaching as she's been a children's director at the church down in, in lexington for about 20 years now so that was great training for her getting her teaching degree and her master's and then being able to go into that ministry. There is a place for a liberal art education for Christian kids. Sure. That is hopefully in a Christian environment. Right. We had that with Milligan. Then all these other schools, and they're from, it's crazy. They're just all jumping on the bandwagon. It's all about money. But it's like, let's just accept uh, the world's thing. And then we see that just slowly, slowly moving where... Our preachers aren't evangelists or preachers anymore. They're what? Yeah, yeah they're... They're pastors. Yeah, we right. Use, we use a, a denominational term. And we use that with quotations. Yeah. Yeah. And and we see the more and more the movement away from even the plurality of eldership following the church the way it should mm -hmm. to where we see the degradation of, of actually the doctrine. You know, with our own churches now doing, you know baptismal Sundays yeah you know and and I think that and again that could be handled properly and that's yeah. okay but again it, it's it's the lack of the teaching because we just want to be accepted right and as you want to be accepted you allow the things of the world to more and more talking about the alcohol talking about whatever fill in the blank there and so you know we're in a time where Unfortunately, uh, the church in general, not just Christian churches, churches of Christ, but all the churches are under such great pressure because of the government and everything else to just accept the world instead of we are no longer influencing the world for Christ. Right. The world is influencing the church for Satan. And we're letting it happen. Right. And that's the biggest challenge. Okay. I appreciate that. Anything else you want to add? I think we've covered three million topics already. <laughs> I think we have, and that's been all right. And uh, sort of been around the world and back again. And I just want to commend Beth for for swallowing all the comments that she wanted to make and allowing us to have this time together. But it was a blessing to have her with us. Right. And if you say it was a blessing for her to be quiet for an hour, you're going to be in big trouble. No, so I'm, not, I'm not going to say that. It's a, It was a blessing to have her sitting in here and... and uh, there was a purpose behind that that we'll just keep to ourselves in here. But it's, 
it, it was good. It's kind of fun to see her reactions. Uh, you know, whenever it's like having a live studio audience. It is. Know? It is. I may. I may have to start doing this more often. She's proven herself. She can do it. She can do it. We have to do it. Well, if this podcast has been a blessing to you, listener, and you believe it could bless somebody else, please share it with your friends and coworkers in Christ. And until next time, this is Evangelist Tom Weaver saying goodbye, and may God pour down his blessings on you like a Mississippi rain.